You're listening to the Living Leadership Podcast, Growing Disciple-Making Leaders. Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. I'm Marcus Honeyset. If you enjoy our content, don't forget to like and subscribe to get notifications of new episodes. Please spread the word among your ministry friends and colleagues too. In this edition of the podcast, we're thinking about being leaders who build teams. I wonder what you think is the difference between a team and a committee. You never refer to a football committee. It's a team. You hear people say they're committed to their team. They're in the team. They take pride in their team. Nobody says that about committees. We talk about having a team spirit, but not a committee spirit. Teams and committees are different types of structures for collective effort. Committees will usually have a specific goal, delivery of a particular activity, but they don't usually require you to own that goal or achieving it to a very high personal degree. Committees are not really identity-forming things for us. Team and teamwork, on the other hand, is all about a high degree of personal and group commitment to fulfilling shared outcomes. Requires a different degree of personal ownership of shared vision. We win or lose as a team. On one occasion, some vicars asked me to do a leadership training session for their parochial church councils. It didn't take very long for somebody in one of the groups to ask why they were invited to a session on leadership. Now, it might not be true of all such groups, but these people, these PCCs, told me that they had never before realised that they were meant to be leaders or that they were meant to be teams. Committees and teams have different functions, different understandings among the members about why they're there, different working relationships and community, different working methodologies, different responsibilities. They are both good and useful things, but they are different. It's not that a team is somehow better than a committee, but they do different things and they place different expectations on their members. I just wanted to tease that out a little bit at the start, because when teams fail to function as teams, it's very commonly because they don't think they are one. The members think they're a committee. Maybe even the team leader thinks they're a committee, or a focus group, or some kind of feedback group for them. When you don't know what's expected of a team member as opposed to a committee member, then you're not grasping what you've been asked to commit to. And team leaders who don't know how to create a team or lead a team as opposed to a committee find it far quicker, easier and more common to create a committee rather than a team. Let me just uh, say it again, though. Committees are not bad things. This is not to diss committees. They're very useful, but they're not the same thing. Hurdle number one to growing an effective team is when the team is in fact a committee in disguise. You don't have to look very far in the Bible to find examples of uh, teams working for uh, gospel ends, uh, God-focused teams. Think of uh, Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, or David's mighty men, or um, Jesus and the disciples, or the apostolic teams in Acts. My favourite quote about teams actually comes from a television series, The West Wing. Uh, 
If you're not familiar with The West Wing, then go get familiar with The West Wing. It's great. In one of the episodes, one of the characters, the White House Communications Director, Toby Ziegler, says this to a group of his interns. We're a group. We're a team. From the President and Leo, the Chief of Staff, right on through, we're a team. We win together, we lose together, we celebrate and we mourn together, and the defeats are softened and the victories are sweeter because we did them together. You're my guys, and I'm yours, and there's nothing I wouldn't do for you. I really like that. That's almost the best short definition of team and teamwork I've ever come across. And I love it when I'm in a church that functions like that. I've given one reason why teams don't work when their committees in disguise. You might like to consider what are some of the other hurdles that you identify in your situation to developing a team mentality. Let me give you five common reasons that you might recognise. When you're finding it hard to develop a team mentality, it'll usually contain at least one of the following reasons. Number one, church structures don't encourage teamwork. Or possibly just over-busyness doesn't encourage teamwork. It doesn't encourage depth in each other's lives. Number two, leaders don't want it or don't know how to build it. Maybe sole leaders don't like the idea of sharing control. Number three, congregational institutional assumptions won't allow for it. Minister, we pay you to do it all. Don't you get a team and delegate stuff? Number four, historical precedents. We've never done it like that here before. And fifth, personalities who are not temperamentally amenable to teamwork. So what makes for a good team leader? Before we ask that, it's worth asking what are some of the core features of teams that work well, because being a good team leader is likely to be related to that. Here are seven features that are likely to be present in well-functioning teams. doesn't mean that they will be well-functioning teams, although if they're absent, I can practically guarantee you that they won't be. So here we are, seven things. Number one, having a common life together, knowing each other, being committed to each other, praying with each other, worshipping together, relational togetherness rather than separateness. Number two, having a clear common purpose for seeking the glory of God in your neighbourhood together. Number three, having a clear common direction and strategy, clear goals. Here's what we think that the Lord is telling us to do. We own these together. Number four, opportunity for creative contribution from everybody according to their gifting. Number five, Ownership and active participation in the team, rather than just passive receipt of the team. When people describe the team as we, not they, you know that you've got a team. It's much more likely if you're eating together, praying together, worshipping together. Number six, understanding of each other's gifts, temperaments, strengths and weaknesses, so that you all play to each other's strengths, minimise each other's weaknesses. And number seven, clear accountabilities. So what then does it mean to be the kind of leader who grows those things? Obviously the characteristics of a good team developing leader are a corollary of the characteristics of a good team. And for us as Christian leaders that has some very specific gospel content to it. Our teams are devoted to disciple making, 
Right the way across the whole warp and weft of church life, it doesn't matter how tangential it is to the task, it still has to be committed to that task. Our teams understand themselves to be devoted to that. Another reason that they fail is when you get teams that are not devoted to that, or used to be devoted to that. I have seen situations where uh, an activity with a team running it reached its sell-by date and stopped, but the team didn't. And people started to think that doing ministry meant serving on the team, or as it became the committee. Perhaps stopping teams is one of the most difficult things to do constructively. So our teams in our churches and missions are devoted to disciple-making. Our understanding is that the Lord is committed to his name and his glory, the gospel of his grace, and he's in relationship with us. So our team leading is necessarily going to have a clear view of servanthood because Jesus came to uh, serve rather than to be served. It's going to have a clear view of worship, that we're gathering worshippers from among the nations and helping them become uh, fully equipped disciples of the Lord Jesus. That's very, very unlikely to be led by a non-worshipping, non-praying team. In fact, a non-worshipping, non-praying team is actually a very Christian one. A team that never opens the Bible together, or is unable to vocalise how it fits with the disciple-making purpose of the church, is never going to be an effective Christian team. We have to have a clear view about these things. Crucially, the team leader's role is not the same as the role of every other member of the team. And this isn't always easy to get our heads round. Sometimes you meet people coming from sole pastor, one-man band situations into team situations for the first time, and they're simply unable to conceive of how to draw together complementary gifts, how to develop all those individuals and draw out spiritual gifts and contributions that are different to the ones that they have themselves. That's why quite a lot of church teams end up as homogeneous around the team leader, because leaders can tend to attract teams who are somewhat like them and who will fall into their way of doing things. The types of facilitating leadership in Ephesians 4, regardless of whether you think that all of them are enduring for today, they're all interestingly different and varied. Team facilitating leadership is about helping everyone else develop in and play to their strengths, helping them play to the strengths of everyone else and to the strengths of the team as a whole. Perhaps the defining mark of a good team is that it's not a collection of autonomous individuals, and the team leader has the critical role in shaping and creating that. Here are my top nine tips for the contributions that a team leader should make. Here's the first. Number one, invite the team. Whenever I'm leading a team, either putting it together from scratch or inviting new people into a team, I believe that the threshold or the induction point is absolutely critical. We're inviting the team. So first you have to invite the right people. Or if you don't have total control over that process, such as a diaconate who is chosen by church vote, you have to be as careful as you can be in directing the right people to the right roles and in establishing that you have the right character in right relationship. You'll probably be familiar with those famous three C's of team life, character, competence and chemistry within the team. 
if the confusion between team and committee is a first hurdle that teams fall at. I think one of the other real big ones is thinking that somebody should be on the team merely because they have an interest or a certain skill set. But if they don't have the three C's, then you won't get them strongly involved in, in team. Character, competence, chemistry with the team. That's the first thing. Invite the team. And if you were to single out one of those above everything else, go for character first. But chemistry with the team, you can have character in, in spades. And if you haven't got chemistry with the team, then you're probably not going to have a well-functioning team. Here's the second contribution that a team leader makes. They define the values and ethos of the team. They help the team just lay down and understand what we are like. So they define what does commitment and participation look like. They establish prayerfulness overall. Just get your team praying. They help the team understand confidentiality and corporate responsibility. They uh, help folk understand how our accountabilities work. They make sure that as a team we're accessible. And they help the team do communication well. Values, ethos, front and centre. So, number one was invite the team. Number two, define the values and ethos. Number three is define the purpose of the team. What are we for? primary task of leadership at this point is to communicate the task and harness or generate the enthusiasm for it. The next thing is that the team leader loves the team. Actually, this is pretty close to being my number one. Because there is a huge connection between teams functioning correctly, flourishing well, and the love they receive. Who wouldn't want to be on a team functioning well if they're really loved there? Team leaders will be as concerned for the members of the team as they will for the purpose of the team. We pastor them. We pray with them. We worship together. We're dedicated to developing each member in it, helping them maximise their contribution. We work to help the struggling. We contain the over-enthusiastic. We feed the team. We nurture them. We love them. The next thing is that team leaders organise the team. Make sure the right people are in the right places to maximise contributions. We're the ones that create space and the environment that brings out the best that people have to offer from their skills. And then we focus the team. We clarify plans, goals and methods. We help uh, to keep to those strategic goals. We keep the vision in the forefront when we're tempted to shift perspective away from uh, the big things that God's called us to, just to minutiae. Team leaders then facilitate the life of the team. We help communication. We resource it. We provide spiritual nurture. We feed them. We reward success. We help mourn failure constructively. And the last two, team leaders evaluate and review the team. And lastly, team leaders close the team appropriately and celebrate what God has done when the time is right. Let me just run through those again. Team leaders invite the team, define the values and ethos of the team, define the purpose of the team, love the team, organise the team, focus the team, facilitate the life of the team, evaluate and review the team, and finally close the team when the time is right. Now it's really important to realise that those are nine things that nobody else apart from the team leader can do. They are team leading functions. 
The difficulty arises when leaders try to build new teams, but without creating the space and time to deliver those things for the team. That's a critical decision point. Will we decide that from now on the team is the structure for delivering outcomes, and that our job is to facilitate and nurture them, in which case we will redirect our time and energy to that, possibly taking away from things that we really enjoy or have previously felt called to? Or will we decide that actually we ourselves are still the ones delivering the outcomes the team exists simply to support and help us? in which case we won't devote the necessary time and energy to the team. Make no mistake, changing from us leading something to team delivering something is costly. To start with, they won't do things exactly as we would like. For some time it's not going to be as competent because we're used to doing things and new team members aren't. It might be that people criticise us when other people on the team do things less well. The temptation then is to immediately retreat to how things used to be and to just grab everything back to ourselves, rather than to defend the team and say, no, we're just going to press on and let these people learn how to do it. The other thing I want to touch on briefly is that team leaders have two quite different but related responsibilities, the accomplishment of the mission and the care of the team. Team leaders often struggle with the com competing demands of these two things. What happens when someone on the team isn't up to scratch, for example, but it would be pastorally devastating to ask them to leave? Team leaders need to be able to adapt to who is on the team according to their relative maturity and ability. It's quite common to see people invited onto a team, but with no thought given about how to help them grow. And therefore, we're tempted to invite only fully formed, competent people rather than those who have embryonic potential, because they're going to need additional help and support to develop, and we feel that we might not have the time or the ability to do that. The prayerful goal of facilitative team leaders is that team members don't only deliver the team goals, it's that they grow themselves, both in the task and in the Lord. Team leaders who are unable to adapt to the different needs of team members tend to keep team members at one point rather than help them to move on and grow. That's especially likely to mean that they are poor at developing the most junior people on the team. Church life is a team event. If it isn't, it isn't functioning as it should. Team creates capacity for growth and facilitative leaders create teams. As leaders we're in the business of applying long-term pressure in the same direction. It's impossible to do that without surmounting obstacles. It's impossible to do it without receiving criticism, sometimes a lot of criticism. You pour your heart into people and they're dismissive. You do evangelistic events and then are just uh, crushed when nobody comes. You preach your heart out and somebody says to your wife, isn't it great that they can just stand up and say those things, what do they do with the rest of the week? Team life doesn't just create capacity to do more things. It creates emotional and spiritual capacity to continue loving God, loving leading and loving the church when the demands are arduous. The team prays together. We keep each other earthed. We keep each other excited about the Lord. We keep each other Christian. 
Sometimes in church life, leaders have to introduce things that some people won't like. If we do that on our own, then we carry all the emotional fallout on our own. But if we have sisters and brothers at our back, we carry it together. Putting your shoulder to a great boulder on your own yet again is the most dispiriting thing in the world. Putting your shoulder to it with one, two, five others might still be very difficult, but it doesn't sap your spirit in the same way. What are you looking for in your team, your teams? How do you want to disciple them? You're after people for whom the glory of God being magnified in the church is or will become their consuming passion. Team-leading leadership is transforming leadership. We are looking to see gospel transformation in people's lives by giving them the opportunity that God wants them to have to participate in his team for his purposes. We're looking for gospel transformation in the world as the church fulfills its purpose, which it won't do if it's not functioning as a team. Team-building leaders, facilitative leaders, are key linchpins to produce a people transformed by the gospel and to mould them into a team shaped by the gospel for doing the task of the gospel together. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Living Leadership Podcast. For more about Living Leadership, to connect with us, to give, or to sign up for regular prayer news, please visit livingleadership.org. Blessings.